If you could open your Bibles again to that passage, that would be great. Uh, back to Hebrews uh, chapter, end of chapter 5 uh, and chapter 6. Um, for those of you who are visiting with us, those of you tuning in uh, online uh, who are new to us, uh, we, our practice here is to work through books of the Bible. We're committed to teaching God's words and all of it, even the hard bits, even the bits that I would rather, and I suspect you too, uh, would rather avoid. Uh, and uh, this is one of these passages that is really tricky, really difficult. So uh, you're going to have to work with me this morning, we're going to have to get our thinking caps on. We're going to have to wrestle with this passage. So in order to do some spiritual uh, and mental limbering up, can I ask you all to stand while I pray, okay? Okay, stand while I pray. Let's bow our heads and pray together. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Father, we thank you that you have given your word. Um, but Father, we recognize that often it, it, it works like a scalpel. It wounds us in order to heal us. And uh, as this passage does that this morning, Father, we pray please that we would... Um, be healed, that we would grow up, that we would uh, grow in our knowledge and love for you and be equipped to be more effective for you in this world. So please help me as I speak, help us all as we listen in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, take your seats. Thank you. Um, in order to avoid being sued uh, quite a lot of um, manufacturers and retailers are plastering their products with, in my view, ridiculous warnings. I don't know if you've seen some of these. Uh, so I came across a packet of roasted um, peanuts, roasted monkey nuts uh, in Sainsbury's, and it actually contains the warning, contains nuts, caution contains nuts. Um, the... The chainsaw company still, uh, uh, they have a printed warning on their chainsaw which says, danger, do not hold the wrong end of a chainsaw, right? Um, or the standard uh, DIY power drill uh, now carries the warning, caution, this product is not intended for use uh, for use. Uh, as a dental drill, okay? Uh, but my favorite ridiculous warning comes on um, the packaging of this costume that you buy for children, uh, which says, uh, warning, this garment does not enable you to fly. Um, the problem with these ridiculous warnings where all these companies are just trying to cover themselves in the event of ridiculous uses of their products is the danger is that we actually ignore and dismiss real and serious warnings. Uh, so I came across this story uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, back in 1991, on the 13th of March, it was a very foggy day, and because it was such a foggy day, it led to Britain's arguably worst road traffic accident uh, on the M4. Um, there was a pileup. Uh, 10 people lost their lives, 25 people were seriously uh, injured. 
Uh, and in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the carnage, uh, a man, one man was healed as a hero. His name was Alan Bateman. Uh, and he was caught up in the accident, but he jumped out of his damaged car and had the presence of mind to run back up the central reservation, waving at all the oncoming cars, trying to warn them uh, of the wreckage that was just down the road so they wouldn't be caught up in it. Uh, and there's still reports that I see quite a lot of people uh, ignored the warning. In fact, they beeped the horn at him uh, and sped on towards the crash. I think there are two ingredients of a good warning, two elements of a good warning. Uh, the first is this, is that informs you of a real danger. Good warning informs you of a real danger. And then secondly, a good warning indicates how you might avoid that danger. If you've got those two elements, that's a good warning, isn't it? It's a good warning. I think an example of a really good warning is many of the road traffic signs that we see. Uh, for example, bends ahead in the road. Slow down. That's a good warning, isn't it? There's a real danger. And here's something to do about it so that you avoid the danger. So those warning signs are not there so that you might doubt that you'll ever arrive at your destination. The warnings are there to help you arrive safely at the destination. Uh, and that's what I think we've got in this passage this morning, a good warning. Uh, now, for those of you who weren't with us before Christmas, when we were studying through the first chunk uh, of the book of Hebrews, a little bit of background. This book is written, it's an anonymous, we don't know who the, the writer was, uh, it's written anonymously. But reading through the book, it's, it's clear that it was written to a bunch of Christians from a Jewish background. Um, and it's clear, and there's some hints, especially in chapter 10, that this little Christian community from a Jewish background were experiencing a pretty tough time. Um, verse, chapter 10, verse 33 and 34 says this, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecutions. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated you suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that, that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So here's a group of people and they're facing social pressure. They're facing state-sponsored, not quite persecution, but certainly intimidation. Uh, and, they're and some of them, some of this community are beginning to abandon faith in the Lord Jesus. It's just too costly. It's just too hard. But they're not abandoning the worship of God altogether. Um, many of them seem to be going back to their heritage, going back to Judaism. It just seems easier for them just to fit in with the culture around them uh, and the society in which they were brought up. And so the writer writes this, what he calls, what he calls in chapter 13, a short letter. I write the short letter to be a word of exhortation to you. And he's trying to urge them to, to keep trusting Jesus, to remain faithful to him, and his tactic to exhort them, to encourage them. Um, he alternates between two things all the way through the book. One he talks about the worthiness of the Lord Jesus. He is superior. He's superior to the prophets. He's superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses, to Joshua, to every high priest that's ever come. He is worthy 
Because he is the God-man who is the Savior and High Priest. He is worthy of your trust and devotion. Stick with him. And then he alternates. Then he flips to give a stern warning about the danger of turning your back and giving up on Jesus. And this passage, at its heart, is one of those five warning passages that we come to in this book. And I think that this is relevant to us even though we're not tempted. I don't suspect there's too many tempted here to become a Jew. I don't think that would be a particularly easy route for many people here. Nevertheless, I think there's enormous increasing pressure for us today in the 21st century in Belfast to give up, to just fit in with the culture in which we live. And we too need to hear the warning and the encouragement that comes from uh, this, this writer and this passage this morning to keep going, to keep trusting, to remain faithful to the Lord Jesus. And in this passage, the writer has three lessons for us. He has a challenge, a warning, uh, and then he has an encouragement. Three punchy lessons. I've tried to summarize them. Grow up, wake up, look up. Okay, grow up, wake up, look up. That's what he has for us first. And be reassured they get shorter, okay, right? We'll spend a fair bit of time in the first one, significant, shorter, okay? Grow up, first one, verses 5, 11 to 6, verse 3, grow up. Um, now, the writer, we, we we're clearly breaking in right into the middle of an argument. I have much more to say about this, much more to say about what. Well, he's just been talking about the Lord Jesus and how he is very similar. In fact, there's all sorts of parallels between Jesus and this mysterious Old Testament character, Melchizedek. I'm not going to say a single more word about him this week. Michael has got the joy uh, of uh, exploring who Melchizedek was and why he's relevant next week, okay? Um, But he's been telling them about how Jesus is like Melchizedek, but now he breaks off from that a discussion, um, and he says, verse 11, we have much more uh, to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because uh, you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk Being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. That's clear. These folks have been Christians for a while. Um, And they should be, uh, by this time, they should be stable, steady, mature believers. But actually quite the opposite is true. They're still in their spiritual nappies. They're still in their spiritual nappies. Uh, They should be teachers by now. Now, he's not saying that they should be all pastors and all elders or all small group leaders at this point. But he is saying that by this stage, you should have conquered the basics. You should be the ones that new Christians go to to ask for advice and wisdom. You should be the one that new believers look to for an example of how to live the Christian life and what a Christian character is should look like. But the truth is, you need to be taught the ABCs all over again. You've made no progress at all. And so he compares them to babies, babies on milk. 
so it's perfectly normal, perfectly fine, uh, of course, for a little baby to be fed milk. But it would be a bit odd, wouldn't it, if a six-year-old was still being breastfed, not to mention a teenager or someone who's in their 30s. Something's gone very badly wrong if that's happening, isn't it? These guys are not on solid food. They have made no progress at all. And he gives us two reasons why. Two reasons why they've made no progress. First, they don't listen. They don't listen. Verse 11. Uh, The NIV version that we're using here, the, the 2011 version, says this. You no longer try to understand The 1984, which is the version we have in the the Bibles at the back, says you're slow to learn. But perhaps a better translation, a more literal translation says this, you have become sluggish of hearing. It's a brilliant expression, I think, sluggish of hearing. You've become lazy listeners, lazy listeners. For those of you who are teachers in the room I think you'll probably all be able to picture at least one or two pupils. Maybe even in most of the classes that you teach, where you look out and you think he or she is not even trying. They're not even paying attention. They're definitely not listening to me. And the writer's saying, you've been like that pupil. You've shown up on a Sunday and you've heard the Bible taught, you've heard the sermon, and you've thought, but you haven't really been paying attention. You've thought, oh, I enjoyed that little story, uh, and I like the shoes. Um, I wonder what's what's for lunch. Not really paying attention. And so, as they've heard the Bible every week, they have not thought rigorously, critically about the issues. They've not been meditating on God's word. They've not been reflecting on how God's word applies and should shape their lives. And so for that reason, they are spiritually immature. They haven't got past Sunday school stage. I know a guy in Donegal. um, We actually went to primary school together and he left school at 13, and the truth is he could barely read and write. But he's got two children now, one who's aged 11 and one who's aged nine, and the truth is they are more advanced than him at reading and writing. That's a tragedy, isn't it? And he's saying, this writer is saying, equally, this is tragic that you're stuck at this stage. You're stuck. Why are they stuck? Why are they they stunted in their growth? Well, if a little baby gets stunted in their growth, that's when the doctors get involved and they start doing the tests to see if there's any problem with their organs. Well, the first organ that they have a problem with is their ears. They're stunted in their growth because they're not listening. They don't listen. But then he gives a second reason. They're stunted in their growth because they don't obey. They don't obey. Listen again, verse 14. Anyone who lives on milk... Being still an infant is not acquainted with uh, the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish 
good from evil. You mature not just by listening, but by seeking to put what you hear into practice. Seeking to put what you hear into practice. It's by constant obedience. Taking what you hear and thinking, how will this affect how I make my decisions? How will this affect my habits? How will this affect my relationships? They are Peter Pan Christians who have never grown up. They've never grown up. They need to be taught the basics all over again. They've made no progress in terms of their holiness and godliness. They haven't committed themselves to purity and honesty. They're still struggling in their relationships with anger and bitterness and resentment. They've made no progress in any of these areas. They're still in their spiritual nappies. It's worth asking ourselves the question as we hear this challenge. Are you and I in our spiritual nappies? Are we? A way to test whether you are or not is simply to ask yourself two questions. Number one, what has God been teaching you in his word? And then the second question is, what changes have you recently made to your habits and your behavior? And if the answer to those questions is nothing, then it may well be that you too are in your spiritual nappies and need to hear this challenge to grow up, grow up. You too need to recommit yourself to listen carefully to God's word and then seek to take the next step of putting it into practice in your daily lives. He goes on in verse six, therefore let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from the acts that lead to death and uh, and of faith in God, instructions about cleansing rites and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Now he's not saying that we move on from Jesus. Every day we need to remind ourselves and rejoice in the forgiveness and the eternal life that he has won for us through his death and resurrection. But the writer is saying that there's more to know, there's more to learn, there's, we need to go deeper in the things of God. I guess it's a bit like uh, children's education, isn't it? At primary school, children learn their letters, their alphabet. They learn their numbers. They learn to add and subtract. They learn to read and write. They memorize their tables. And then when they go on to secondary school, they they don't have to relearn all those basics. No, that's the foundation that you build everything else on. In the same way, Jesus is our foundation. But there's more things we need to build on him. Just on my street at the minute, just this week, one of the terraced houses has been knocked down, completely demolished. And right now, not right this minute, but at present, uh, the builders are relaying the foundation to build a new house on that site. Now, if you come back in a couple of months and they're still laying the foundation, that would be a bit odd. 
if you come back next year and they're still digging up and relaying the foundation, something has gone badly wrong. Isn't that right? You should have conquered the basics by now. They should be in place and you should be building on them. What are the basics? Well, he has three pairs. I think we're familiar with the first and the third. The second one's a bit odd. First one, what do you need? What what are the basics of the Christian faith? Repentance and faith. The basics of the Christian faith? Eternal life and judgment. But in between, maybe the second pair's a bit odd. It's cleansing rites and laying on of hands. I can, I can tell you that in Christianity Explored, we do not cover cleansing rites and laying on of hands. That is not what we regard as Christian basics. But remember again that these are Jewish Christians and these were common practices within the Jewish faith. And they're having to think through these Jewish practices now from a Christian perspective. And I think that's why they were part of their basics course, even though they're not part of ours. But the big question then simply is this. What activity is going on in the building side of your life? What activity is going on? Are you building up your knowledge? Are you reading good Christian books as you think through what the Christian life ought to look like? As you think through what it means to be a Christian parent or a Christian employer, employee, as you think through how to make better decisions, as you think through how relationships might work better and honor God more, are you seeking to build godliness in your life? Are you seeking to, to devote yourselves to prayer, to be active in the service of other people? Or is it down tools on the building side of your life? Just leaning on the shaft of the shovel with nothing actually happening. Because if that's the case, then you need to hear the challenge. Get growing. Get building. Grow up. Why? Why should I bother? I've been ticking along just fine, just for a while. Why do I need to bother? Why do I need to put in such effort? It all sounds like a bit of hard work, to be honest. Well, that takes us to the second uh, warning section. Grow up. Second, wake up wake up. Unfortunately, our NIV version doesn't do a brilliant job of translating verse 4 because there's an important word that it leaves out. At the beginning of verse 4, there's the little word for or because. And so in verses 4 to 8, it gives us the reason why not growing is so dangerous. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. If there is no progress in your life, there's no maturing work happening at all, if there's no change, no matter how slow, then perhaps you're drifting. And if you're drifting, you are in real danger of falling away. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to fall away? I think it's worth saying what it doesn't mean first. The writer back in chapter 2, verse 1, in his first warning, 
he talked about the danger of drifting. And that's this gradual thing that happens as we sort of gradually grow cold and less intimate with God and his people. That's gradually drift. But he's saying, if you drift long enough and far enough for a while, then that can lead to something much more decisive and much more dramatic, which he calls falling away. And I take it, when he talks about falling away, he is referring to a a professing Christian who publicly, decisively, uh, and deliberately renounces their faith in the Lord Jesus. I think that's what he means by falling away. And so falling away is not just a season of backsliding. Like many of us have had that experience where uh, we have just drifted. We're not reading the Bible anymore. We become infrequent in attending church where our prayer life is nowhere. And we discover that actually we're, we're making choices and living in a way that we know is ungodly and not consistent with our Christian profession. And usually God brings a Christian into our lives who speaks some words of truth into our lives to bring us to our senses and we get back on track again. That is not what he's talking about here. Neither is he talking about a season of doubt which we all go through at some point where we doubt what we believe or why we believe it. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a decisive, public, and deliberate renouncing of faith in the Lord Jesus. It's that further step. And when you do that, verse six, you are in effect realigning yourself with those who crucified Jesus, aren't you? What, did they, what were they ultimately saying? Jesus is a fraud. And they mocked him and ridiculed him. And when you renounce your faith in Jesus, you effectively line up with the enemies of the Lord Jesus. That's what, that's what you're doing. And I think we all, sadly and tragically, I think most of us in this room know someone or have a friend who has done that. I can think of someone I was at theological college with who was taught everything I was taught, uh, went and served as a pastor in a church in Britain, um, and yet I recently heard that he left his wife, moved in with some other girl, and would now say he doesn't believe a word of it, doesn't believe a word of it. In fact, he would say that he was conned. It's all make-believe. Looks like he's fallen away. We can never be sure, but it looks like he's fallen away. Why is that so bad? Why is that so bad? Chapter 3, verse 13 warned us that if you turn away from the living God, what happens is your heart grows hard. It grows hard. And for those people who've made that decisive turning away from God, if you've dealt with them, if you've talked to them, If you've appealed to them, you'll know it's really, really difficult. Because they've heard it all before. They know all the answers. It just seems to bounce off them now. So hear the warning. It is impossible for those people 
to be brought back to repentance. It's one of four things that is impossible in the book of Hebrews. I'll leave you to find the other three. But it's a, it's a terrifying warning, isn't it, to be honest? Somber warning. Now it immediately raises the question, if you're thinking at all, hold on a minute. <laughs> Does that mean that a, a real Christian could possibly lose their salvation? Is that what he's saying? You know, what about that Christian cliche that we've heard over and over and over again? Once saved, always saved. Is that not right? After all, didn't, doesn't the Apostle Paul say to the, the Philippians, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What are we to make of that? It sounds like initially when you read it, it does sound like he's contradicting Paul here, doesn't it? He does say these people who have been enlightened and who have shared in the Holy Spirit could fall away. Well, I don't think he's contradicting Paul at all. First, it's important, I think, to note how these people are not described. He doesn't say it is impossible for those people who have been born again, who have been justified, who have been adopted into God's family to be brought back to repentance if they fall away. He doesn't, he doesn't say that. You know, the terms he uses are much more vague and unclear. And I'm persuaded as I've studied this this week that I think he still has in mind that generation of their ancestors who were rescued by Moses from slavery, through Moses, by God, uh, from slavery in Egypt. Remember, they were the ones who were enlightened, weren't they? The power and the presence of God was visible to their eyes when they saw God send plague after plague upon their slave masters. They were the ones who literally tasted of the heavenly gift, didn't they? As they ate manna, God's bread, in the desert. They too shared in the Holy Spirit very interesting verse in Isaiah 63, verse 11, which says that the Holy Spirit was among Moses and the people when he brought them through the Red Sea. And then lastly, they were the ones who tasted the goodness of the word of God. They were the ones who gathered round Mount Sinai as God spoke his Torah, his instruction to Moses, and they benefited from his good law. And so, the writer of the Hebrews is saying, again, don't be like them. Don't be like them. In one sense, they seem to have some sort of faith, didn't they? They followed Moses out of Egypt, and yet it wasn't saving faith. Because they didn't persevere all the way to the end. You see, it's possible to be part of a Christian church. It's possible to be part of a church where the Bible is taught, where the Holy Spirit is at work, bringing new people to faith, changing the lives of people in this community. And yet you personally have never put your trust in the Lord Jesus. It's possible to attend the right meetings, 
sing the right songs, say the right words, and yet not be a genuine believer. And sooner or later, when tough times come, you will walk away. I think the writer here is saying nothing different to what Jesus said. Jesus, on multiple occasions, didn't he? He said there will be those people who sound like they are my followers. They look like genuine believers, but they are frauds. He said that in the famous parable of the sower, didn't he? He has different types of seed. tells a story of the seed being planted on different types of soil, and one of the soils is rocky ground. The seed goes down, but it's very shallow, and so it warms up quickly. The seed sprouts quickly, but when the sun beats down, it has no root so it dies. Jesus goes on to explain what the parable is about. It's about different responses to the seed, the word of God. Some people receive it with great joy and they say the right thing and they look the right way and they attend the right meetings and yet they have no root, no saving faith. And so when tough times come, they abandon it. They abandon it. The problem is we don't know and we can't tell Who's who at the beginning, can we? We can't tell. And so this warning is a very real one. It's a very real one. If your attendance of a church is slack and slacking, if your Bible reading and prayer life is non-existent, and if you have no desire or you're unwilling to serve God's people, then that may be, it may be, the first signs of drifting. And the first sign, and that drifting might lead to your heart becoming hard. And if your heart becomes hard, you might fall away. Grow up. Wake up to the danger that you're in. How should we respond then? to this challenge. Lastly, very briefly, look up verses 9 and 10. The writer gives a serious warning, but he's a wise wise pastor. It's not all stick. There's carrot there as well. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, and this is the first time and only time I think he says, dear friends, he's given them a harsh warning. Dear friends, We are convinced of better things in your case, things that have to do with salvation. Look, I'm confident that this worst case scenario is not true for you. I have seen, I've seen the evidence of you putting your faith into practice in the past, how you've loved people in the past, and some of you are still doing that. Look at the end of verse 10. Some of you are still doing that. But even for those who are still doing it, Don't rest on your spiritual laurels. Keep going. Keep growing. Keep building. Keep persevering. And how do you do that when life is hard? How do you persevere? How do you keep going? How can you motivate yourself to keep growing? Well, it's by looking up. Looking up. Look up at the wonderful hope that lies before you. You have a wonderful, eternal inheritance. One day, 
when Jesus returns, there will be a world where there's no more struggle, where there's no more sickness or suffering, pain or death. They're all a thing of the past. Keep going. How do you keep, and how, how do you motivate yourself to keep going? Well, look at those folks who've kept going in the past. Look at those saints who have struggled and strived through pain and sorrow and yet remain faithful and then they receive their reward. Classic example, Abraham, verses 13 to 15 that follows. Look what he did. For years it looked like God wasn't listening and yet God wonderfully kept his promises. God has a, our God has a proven track record of making and keeping his promises. So let's look forward with confidence to the hope that we have because one day all the sacrifices, all the struggle will be worth it. There'll be one day when we'll experience such joy and glory with the Lord Jesus that whatever we've lost here and now will be more than compensated for. Keep going. Keep looking forward. Keep looking up. And so you see, this warning in many ways is a bit like the road sign that I started with, isn't it? It's not designed to make you doubt that you'll reach your destination. It's not what it's there for. It's there to help you reach your destination safely. So together, let's not let our hearts grow hard. Instead, what should we do? Let's grow up. Let's listen carefully to God's word. What is he saying to you and to me? And let's obey it. Let's hear the warning. Look out for danger in our own lives and in the lives of other people. And let's keep looking up because one day all that he has promised we will inherit. Let me pray. Father, you are so loving that you sometimes give us hard words to hear. Father, I suspect for, for some of us here, this will have been difficult for us to listen to. We may feel rebuked by it. But Father, we pray please would also be comforted by your patience with us. Father, please help us by your Holy Spirit to listen carefully to you. To seek to respond with faith and obedience and to look forward with great joy to what lies ahead because of what the Lord Jesus has won for us. Thank you for your word and we pray that we would respond with great joy and obedience. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.